What's up, night fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Once again with you, my name is Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez. And, uh, Elo, we are in the full spring swing right now, aren't we? It's like crazy right now. It is, with lots of drama and games to talk about. We got we got basketball coming down the stretch. We're going to lead off with that. We got men's basketball, women's basketball also against Tulane. Uh, men with a huge win up at Temple. We'll riff on that for a while. Uh, baseball is underway. Uh, they're off to a very good start once again. 4-0 and to start the season through the first four games. Uh, softball had the big tournament out in California. Just Way too flipping much going on around here. This was this is the part this is the part of the season, Eric. When when I was working um, in the athletic department, I got like no sleep at all because I had to shoot video of basically everything. We were at the arena almost every night uh, for you know over the weekend. Like men's and women's basketball would be playing games at home the same weekend, and then uh, you know you'd also have you know sometimes I'd have to go out to golf, you know, and I have to go to tennis softball games, you know, everything. Baseball is crazy. It's absolutely crazy sometimes. And what, what also doesn't help sometimes is the weather. You know, if you're playing outside, you know, like if it's, if it's sure. baseball or softball, the weather doesn't cooperate with you. But we're kind of in the – we're in that spring equinox now. So, um, so you know, it's going to be a, a busy time. So, once again, don't forget you can uh, follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, subscribe to our uh, email newsletters there. Uh, you can also subscribe to our uh, podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, and tune in. Follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon and Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. We're also on Facebook if you look up black and gold com. We got some we got some uh listener comments in the mailbag this week. We got it happening show. So let's go ahead and get started here. We've got um uh, so we'll start with the men's basketball team. We just now we're recording this on Wednesday night, February twenty second. Just in UCF men's basketball, huge win at Temple. Seventy one sixty nine in a game where they trailed by nine at the half, came storming back. Uh BJ Taylor, who was excellent down the stretch, seven of sixteen from the field 19 points, uh, three assists, had four threes in the game. Taco Fall with another double-double, 14 and 10 on six of nine from the field. Matt Williams uh, didn't quite do it with the three-point shot this uh, this evening, two of seven, but was five of 12 overall for 13 points. Uh, Nick Banyard had 11, A.J. Davis had 10, so five players in double figures for the Knights. Uh, they had a bad first-half shooting in nine of 28. And then in the second half, turned it on. That was 58% from the field in the second half, 18 to 31, compared to just 32 in the first. Uh, and they get the victory uh, in back of a couple big plays down the stretch, Eric. We saw, and we saw it. It was B.J. Taylor hitting shots down, down the uh, – including a big three late. Uh, the defense looked like Temple may have had a shot there, a wide-open three that would have been trouble uh, late in the game. But B.J. came up with the rebound, hit the free throws. Uh, or hit one, hit one free throw, I think, and uh, and then Temple had a last minute desperation heave that did not go in, and the Knights get a huge conference road win to go now to uh, let me pull up the standings here. We're just real nine quick. and seven, nine and seven in the league. Yeah, we were saying that this was a key stretch right now. They're eighteen and ten overall with two games to go. They have won three in a row against Tulsa at East Carolina by three. That was on Saturday. And then this game by two. So two close road wins in a row, Eric Lopez. 
amazing too and uh, swept east carolina which remember it wasn't that long ago east carolina has had ucf's number in men's basketball right. so that you know. and then to sweep temple who would have thought of that to sweep temple at the beginning of the year uh man uh, it's just remarkable because right they were they were down and then they made a run and then they were down You're like oh this is gonna slip away but they would make a run and make big shots bj taylor make big shots matt williams made big shots i think he hit over his hundred three in this game, which I believe is a school record for a single season now with three-pointers. Taco Fall also set the record most rebounds in a season. Yeah, we had some milestones tonight. As right. well in this game, uh, breaking Keith Clanton's record, among others. So, uh, And Taco is great. Dominant, uh, a factor. Dominant. They got five blocks. I mean, he was a very dominant factor. Great win. And to get two big wins on the road in tough tough close games finding a way to win close games too it's a it's a it's a sign of growth of this team and uh man i'm just excited i mean nine who would have thought nine and seven in the conference i would have never envisioned that when we had this preview back in october yeah and i find especially considering how shallow the team has you know is in terms of injury right I, yeah, and I would dare anybody. I find I dare to find anyone that thought they could win nine games in the in the league. Uh, you know, it, it's pretty pretty remarkable, and it's put themselves in this position. You got two games left now in the regular season. All right, you're going to host Cincinnati. Let's be honest; it's going to be a tough, tough, uh, tough ask. But you got them at uh, home. You do have them at home. Hopefully, people come out. It's the last home game. I mean, this team really deserves on senior day to have a support because this has been a fun team to watch all year. And I was talking to someone before the podcast, Jeff, I think it's the most fun whole season. I want to say complete whole season uh, that, uh, that I can remember with UCF basketball since the 2007 uh, Kirk Sparrow team that we've talked about, I think in the past in these podcasts where uh, they got all the way to the two seed in conference USA finished right in the regular season, beat Houston in overtime at the old venue, uh, and Kirk got an extension out of that, and it was just an amazing atmosphere. You know, that was a fun year, the whole year. This has been yeah. a fun year, the whole year. I know some people are screaming at me right now. They're listening. Wait, wait a minute. What about the year we were in the top 25, uh, which was Donnie Jones's first year? Mm-hmm. And that was fun. That first half of the year was fun when they beat Florida at the Amway Center, certainly the most memorable basketball game, UCF basketball game that I've ever been to in person when they won at the Amway Center, knocked off Florida. Uh, they beat Connecticut, I believe, in, in the uh, tournament up in the Bahamas, got all the way to the championship game in the Bahamas before they lost to Harvard and Tommy Amaker's team there. Uh you know, that was a fun ride, and they got ranked in the top 25 for the first time. I think got as high as number 19 at one point. The reason I didn't bring that year up is the conference season went south. And yeah, it went they ran south out of gas fast. that year. And that kind of soured things because, and I'll never forget, you know, they beat Marshall at home. It was a packed house near, I think it was over 9,000. You had Marcus Jordan, Keith Clan, everything was buzzed. It was a big buzz. And then they went on the road at Houston, and Houston just kept hitting threes after three after three. And UCF lost that game. And I remember Donnie Jones, the next game, he, that was the game where he put a freshman named Isaiah Sykes into the lineup for the mm-hmm. first time. And he made a change, and they looked terrible. And and from that point on, they never really recovered. They finished um, you know, near the bottom of the conference. I think there were like four or five games under 500 in the conference. And what stunk about that is they had done their job in the pre-conference. They had beaten Florida. They had beaten Connecticut. Uh, that had that was the Andre Drummond Connecticut team, by the way. Um, 
they had a resume in the non-conference because I remember I was following that closely. It was a soft bubble that year in the NCAAs. Had UCF finished above 500 in the conference that year, which would have probably been top three, top four, with their non-conference resume, the odds were they were probably going to be in position to get in as an at-large into the NCAA tournament. So that's why, um, as fun as that first half of the year was, I don't bring that up as far as one of my favorite years because I thought the second half of the year soured it a little bit for me compared to the 07 year and this year. Because this year I had no expectations, and I still don't even know how we've gotten to this point, but we have, and I've enjoyed every minute of it, uh, even through the ups and downs, because this team is just finding ways to win now. You're 18 and 10. You have a chance. You know, the Cincinnati game at home, as you mentioned, then you play at USF, which is the worst team in the league, Mm -hmm. to end the regular season. If you can win, let's say you split that. All right, let's say you're right because that's what the the odds will say is that you'll lose to Cincinnati and you'll beat USF. That means you finish ten and eight in the conference, nineteen and eleven. Um, and if you win your first round game in the tournament, you get twenty wins. Right. This year, with like shorthanded as they are, and the which schedule just- and 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 where they are in the standings. By the way, this is this is another little advantage by the way with the schedule that they have in these last 2 weeks. So we talk about the uh, conference tournament. The conference tournament isn't until March 9th. Okay? It's February 22nd the night we're recording this. So UCF has two games left. I think this is key. One one home, one away. One home against one of the best teams in the conference and one away at, at one of the worst teams in the conference. They have only two games left in the schedule. Uh, let's see. Memphis has four games left. They're basically just ahead of them in the conference. UConn is, a, is two games. It, or, or, UConn also, rather, has an extra four games left um, in, in league play, and so does Houston. They're both at nine and five. Memphis is at eight and six. UCF is at nine and seven. So UCF doesn't have to, you know, they where everybody else is playing four, they're playing two. So to me, that's an advantage heading down the stretch. They can focus on the Cincinnati game one step at a time, and then focus on USF to wrap up the season. They're in a they're they actually might be in a position where heading into the tournament. They might be, relatively speaking, well rested heading into that. Which is right huge. Now. Which is huge. Yeah. No, I agree. And I look, and I've said this to someone else. We won't know this till the draw comes out for the conference tournament, where they finish and stuff. But depending on the kind of draw they get in the conference tournament, I think they can do some damage. Uh, I mean, really. I mean, UConn, I think, has been the only team that I have felt don't feel comfortable at all playing. Like right. UCF just doesn't match up well. And I've said we said this. And you know they just they're they're very physical. They give Taco some issues. They're they're very disruptive. Um, you know, even though they've had their injuries, they, they don't match up well. But otherwise, you know, the Cincinnati game, we'll obviously have a better idea after Sunday's game at home. But you know, going back to that game at Cincinnati, Cincinnati's the better team. But it wasn't like UCF was outclassed or anything like that. Um, so I'm curious to see how they look at home against Cincinnati. SMU and Cincinnati are clearly the top two teams in the league. Uh, UCF lost a close, you know, lost a game to them at home, but again, it was a very competitive game. Houston right now and UConn are the three and the four. Houston, UCF beat earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they split. They split their two games. So then you got Memphis, who again UCF split with and dominated Memphis at home. Uh, they didn't, you know, and then even the game at Memphis was a close game. Memphis kind of pulled it out towards the last couple minutes of that game. So 
Um, I think if you're UCF, you're feeling pretty good that you can match up with people. Now, obviously, there's no room for error. I mean, they, you know, at the same time, they could. It wasn't like, for example, the Temple game tonight could have gone either way. So if they were to play Temple again, that doesn't mean they're a guaranteed win because they could lose in the first round. That's how these conference tournaments work. So, you know, right now, as we recorded this, they're nine and seven in the league. SMU and Cincinnati are your top two dogs. You got Houston and UConn at three and four. Memphis is the five. So UCF right now is the six. Uh, and more than that's probably going to be the worst case scenario is that UCF's a six. Maybe they can move up to five, uh, which would be huge if they can get to five. Right, because, because they now, get the buy into the quarters. Yes. Right. Yes. Now, okay, here, now, let me explain this real quick because people forget this about the American Conference Tournament. You got 11 teams, all of them go. And the first round, you have the sixth seed playing the 11 seed, which right now would be UCF against USF in the very first round. All right. So uh, they could be playing back to back games. Right. They could be playing back to back against each other. Also, the 10 plays the 7 and the 9 plays the 8. Then the winner of those games move on to the quarters on the Friday, which is March the 10th. So the 1 would play the winner of 8 9. And then you have the four and the five. Like I said, neither of them play in the first round. The five, there is no twelfth team, so the so the five gets to play uh, against. So the five gets the bye basically right to the quarters. The four and the five play, and then you have ten seven winner against two, and then six eleven winner against three. So um, so if you can get to five, you can. You you end up not having to play that extra first round game against the weak team now. On the other hand, you could pad your kind of resume a little bit, but I don't, I'm not sure a win over USF, a two straight wins no. over USF would pad your resume no. with any kind of no, committee. All it would do would get would get you to twenty wins, basically. By but the if way, if you can get to five and you're playing, yeah. th- then you are playing. Well, right now the four seed is UConn, so it, now it's tough to beat a team three times in the same season. I will say that. Sure. No, well, right now, of course, the game's in Connecticut. That's at the true. Excel set. Hartford. Uh, now, who knows? Maybe Houston ends up being the four, right? And UConn ends up being the uh, the three. So maybe you don't even have to worry about UConn. Now, you know, I think you. Sh- I, I I'm not. A, you know, I think you have to play it out. You shoot for the best, highest position you can, and see what happens at the end of the day. Um, if you're wondering, by the way, me- here's Memphis's schedule. Okay, uh, they're eight and six right now, so they're virtually in a tie with UCF right now, basically. Here's Memphis' schedule. You tell me how you think they'll do. They're at Cincinnati Loss. on Thursday night. They host Houston this uh, upcoming weekend, which will be uh, on Sunday. Mm. They Good host second. Tulane. They host Tulane. That should be a win. That should be a win. Then they finish at SMU. Oh, boy. So they got the top two teams in the league. So I think Memphis, at best, goes 2-2. Two and two. Which ironically would put them at ten and eight in a tie with UCF. They split head to head, so I don't know what the next tiebreaker would be in that scenario. It might be common opponents, I'm guessing, uh, how they did against common opponents, something to that extent against the rest of the league. But here's the scenario: Let's say they went one and three, and UCF went one and one. That would put Memphis at nine and nine. So keep that formula in mind right. as we go down and, to stretch there in the battle for the fifth spot. And looking at I, UConn. Uh, as yeah. of the time that we're recording this, remember that we're recording this on Wednesday night. Uh, they are playing Houston at Houston. That's a big uh, game. That's a very big game right there. Um, 
Then they are home for SMU on Saturday. Next Wednesday, they're at East Carolina. And then Sunday, March the 5th, they are home for Cincinnati. So they have Cincinnati left left on the slate, too, UConn does. So um, they're leading that game right now against Houston at the moment. But, um, boy, this uh, we, we got a bunch of trains coming into the station at once here uh, well, no, and to that, finish and that, off the that, American season. It is. And, and that you mentioned that Houston-UConn. I mean, again, I, 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 think, I think UConn will probably end up finishing third. And then I think Houston ends up fourth. So if that's the case... Yeah, your UCF, you take your chances, you try to get that five seed, and which I think is possible, and then you play, you know, you play Houston in a quarterfinal game, and next thing you know, you win that, you're in the semifinal. Something that this program hasn't done before in the conference right. tournament, uh, in the CUSA or the American era. I mean, you got to go back to the A Sundays to do that. Uh, so, and and I, I I think this is. So, you know, Houston is a team, too, that's fighting to try to get back into that conversation to get in as an at-large in the NCAA. UCF, you're competing for people who are saying, well, what are you talking about? You know, and what what do they play? You know, they, I think UCF has a shot to get, get to the NIT. Um, and I think yeah, if, they get to, over, yeah. if they can get to 20 wins and make a run at the conference tournament, I think they got a shot to be an NIT team. Uh, CBI, certainly, I think. At, at, at worst. So... Um, I, it's just it's just remarkable. I don't think Johnny Dawkins has any chance to win conference coach of the year because I feel like the coach of the year is going to go either Cronin at Cincinnati. Whoever wins the league between SMU and Cincinnati will probably get coach of the year just because of the phenomenal year that those teams have had. That's usually the trend. But, man, I mean, an amazing year for Johnny Dawkins. Don't deserves, you? I mean, deserves just, consideration at least. You know, absolutely. Sort of. If you, if they had an honorable mention, I think he should get it. By the way, last time, if I'm not mistaken, last time UCF was in the CBI was that 2010-2011 year, where UCF year, yeah. officially went 0 and 12 because yeah. of the um, because of the AJ Ropsa thing. But that was uh. also the year that they started 14 and 0. Opened the conference season with a win at, against Marshall. They were 19th in the country at that point in the uh, uh, in the rankings. I think at the AP, they were 14 and 0, and then lost their next nine, or excuse me, lost lost their next eight and dropped to so 14 that mean, and eight. So like, wait, so that, does that mean that according to the NCAA, we were never ranked? Like, how does that work? Which I've always you know, found like the silliest thing when the NCAA does this nonsense right. about vacating wins. I think it's like, the dumbest thing in the world. It's like it, you know, it's like you have to pretend that the games never happened. They did happen. I was there. Right. It's you like know? recently, yeah. like right, like recently, like Jim Beheim, Syracuse head coach. He went to school at Syracuse. They just went ahead and celebrated his one thousandth win recently, even though according to the NCAA, uh, he only has like nine hundred and something because they vacated like a hundred some wins. Because of violations at Syracuse, we've seen this at football. It's kind of yeah. silly. Those those wins, those wins happened. I was there. I saw yeah. them. <laughs> it's yeah, you, you can't know, go back. I mean, you can't go I'm back sorry. and be like, sorry, this game didn't happen. Yeah, that, that that's that, those are penalties that are reserved from another time when it was like you know important. You're never going to see. You're never going to see anyone like take away a national championship because of it, right? They've right. never done that. And I'm sh- and I know there are teams that have you know, won national championships in the past that you could probably take away a banner or two uh, based on what happened. Like, you know, think think about the Fab Five, right? What if they had won that game against North Carolina? Sure. Now, are you going to take away that banner? 
we were there. We saw it happen on TV. It's not like they vanished suddenly. So right. I think it's a dumb penalty, and I think that they need to rethink their penalties. But that's a discussion for another time. But Now, uh, by the way, the yeah, year after that, UCF made the NIT, if I remember correctly. And uh, uh, I think that was the year they lost to Drexel, yes. I want to say, on yeah, the road. They lost, they lost to the Drexel Dragons in Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, can, I tell you, can I tell you why I remember that? The okay. reason I, I, The reason I remember that. And I'm trying to remember my memory kind of comes and goes sometimes these days. Uh, I remember that because back then, uh, Mark Daniels was, you know, the beat of sports was on 1080 Mm -hmm. in Orlando, which is the station that I worked at. And I was penciled in to be the fill in guy based on how I, I filled in for him a couple of times. I worked with the late Jerry Green, which was an awesome honor. It was fun. Uh, and I did that because Mark's schedule for people and people UCF fans that tune in know this. I mean, it gets hectic with basketball and baseball where the travels and things like that. By the way, so this, ba- this was the year that you're talking about that we beat UConn when they were number four in the Bahamas. But go ahead. Oh, was it? Yes. Yeah. I knew it was one of those years. It's all kind of like comes and goes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the Drexel thing, I remember that because it was based on I, and I don't remember the specifics, but I know there were scenarios where had they won, I would have. You know, I would have had to host another show or, you know, or if they lost, you know, stuff like that. So I remember just following that very closely. In fact, I want to say the night they played Drexel, I was at UCF baseball. They were hosting Miami, and that was a game where there was a near dust-up at home plate between the two teams. And I was following the basketball game uh, closely because I think what would have happened is I think had UCF won, I would have had to – I think Mark was going to have to host the show, and but they lost, and I think I ended up hosting it. I don't remember the, the details because I think they had to fly in the morning. But the point was that's how I remember that NIT game with Drexel because mm-hmm. it was impacting what my what I was going to do the next day. Uh, so that's kind of some postseason memories. But uh, hopefully this team can get to one of those two, and uh, I think there's a very strong possibility of that. It's hard to handicap those things from an NIT CBI. You know, right. CBI, you know, there's financial involvement in that as far as teams paying and stuff like that. Uh, I do remember UCF hosting the CBI. Uh, I was there for a game that year. Got that to the, the semifinals of the CBI that year. Correct. Uh, they beat St. Bonaventure, I want right. to say, at home. I was at that game. So Was Andrew uh, Nicholson I, on St. Bonaventure at the time? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Uh, I re- I'll never forget the St. Bonaventure head coach. And Brandon Helwig of UCSSports.com has used this, which is great. The liner where the, the St. Bonaventure, they asked him about the game, and he was all about, you know, the, 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 they cared. And he's like, what do you mean they didn't care? They cared. Of course they cared. It's the CBI. This <laughs> <laughs> is just a funny soundbite. It was just a funny soundbite. Of course soundbite. they care. It's the CBI. Uh, yeah, in the CBI that year, we, um, we actually hosted two games. We uh, uh, defeated St. Bonaventure in the first yep. round. And was there. Then, was- and then defeated Rhode Island, the Rams. In the second round, and uh, I want to say I was there too for that game. Yeah, uh, I, I know I was there for both, and uh, and that, and then they, uh, and then they shipped us out to Creighton, and Creighton beat us in the semifinals out in Omaha. So, so that that's how. Oh that's how that my goodness! Up. And I remember that they had a, if I remember correctly, they did not have a good time traveling to Creighton either. No, they did uh, not. I they think were, it was a quick turnaround, and they yeah, it was not. It pretty. was two days later that they lost to Creighton. The the, yeah. the the Rhode Island game was on March twenty first. 
Then they had to get shipped out to Creighton and play Creighton the next day. Or, or yeah. Not, or not, or they had to ship out to, to Omaha the next day, which, as you know, is not easy to get to. And then no. they were playing it primetime on the 23rd. So. And, and, and remember, this pr- – they were fly. They're still. I mean, to this day, they still fly commercial. It's not like they. Hey, we've taken the charter to Omaha. So, right. I just remember. Yeah, that was not a fun trip for them, and it showed. Creighton, uh, interestingly enough, um, they. Who did they beat? They knocked off Davidson uh, before we got to play them, and then uh, they played. It's funny because the CBI, the championship round is a best of three, and that year yes. Creighton lost to Oregon in three. They won the first game, but then Oregon won two in a row to win the CBI, including a, the last game was a thriller. I remember that watching because we're thinking that we may have lost to the eventual CBI champions. But um, but it, that, that was an interesting year. I think we do have a really good shot, obviously, at CBI. I would love to see us get into the NIT. I think that would be um, that would be a blast for us to get to. to and it'd be a huge success. It'd yeah. be a huge success for considering – the low expectations and where this program has been, quite honestly, the last couple of years. And, you know, it's exciting. I mean, it's just been a fun year and a fun group. And, and it's a group that most of it returns. Now, you do lose Matt Williams. That's a big loss. But um, it's uh, it's it's really a positive. It's just been great to see Coach Dawkins do his thing. And uh, hopefully they can finish it strong, you know. And I don't know. It's going to be – I'm looking forward to being at the game against Cincinnati and see how that goes. Uh, looking, seeing the best team in the league. I think Cincinnati is the best team in the league. But – you know, Cincinnati's got a tough game with Memphis on Thursday. How do they come out on the road at UCF? Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how they match up and then finish strong against that USF. Uh, boy, if they can get to 20 wins. Uh, there's something about 20 wins, a magic number. Yep. That would be pretty cool to get to that point uh, and then finish strong and get yourself in a position for postseason. Speaking of teams off to uh, a really good finish here, women's basketball knocking off Tulane this evening. Like I said, we're, a reminder, we're recording this on Wednesday evening. Um, final tally in this one, 56-51. The Knights and Coach Abe advanced to 18-9, and 8-6 and six in the league, and they are firmly entrenched, Eric Lopez, in fourth place in the conference at 8-6. and six. Uh, Having gotten the big win at uh, USF, we talked about that, the Knights now two wins away from a 20-win season, and uh, the impressive way, that, uh, the impressive thing about this, uh, Eric, was I thought the way that they won this game. UCF was up four at the half, uh, withstood a rally from Tulane. Mind you, this is a road game, all right. And Tulane's pretty good. They're like I think you were telling me, uh, they're top four. They're fortieth in the RPI. They're a pretty good team. Well, it's just I mean Tulane had almost just knocked off Connecticut. Right. Uh, they were, on Saturday night at home. They were lost by three. They had a possession to actually try to take the lead and turn it over. And then they had mm-hmm. a one last shot to set to tie the game and the game came up short. But they gave UConn all they can handle. And they were victim number one hundred and one in a row for the Huskies, by the way. But they earned Gino Oriema's respect. Gino even said the wrong team won that night. He thought Tulane was the better team that night. Uh, so a lot of respect for a Tulane team that, yes, is in the mix. When you look at the NCAA picture right now in the American Conference, I don't think people are sleeping on this because all the attention, and rightfully so, goes to UConn. You realize they're going to get three teams in to the NCAA tournaments as locks. Like, And when I mean locks, UConn, USF, and Temple are going to get in. And then Tulane is that fourth team 
that has a shot to get in. Mm-hmm. In fact, coming in uh, to this game, their RPI was at 44. So they were right in that, right, just right on that line that could go either way. So this was a big game for Tulane, a very good Tulane team. And for, for, for UCF to go on the road and knock them off is huge. It's their second. I mean, that's not as obviously it's not as good of a win as the USF for a variety of reasons that does not need to be explained on this podcast. We already know why USF's the biggest win ever. But this Tulane win is by far the second best win of the year, and it's the second big win in the in the same amount of weeks. The UCF right now is playing as good of basketball, not counting UConn. Let's just put them in a different category because right. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Uh, other than UConn, there's not another team in this league right now that's playing as good of basketball as UCF women's, which is a remarkable statement to say. Consider also the fact that um, UCF tonight, again in this game against Tulane, you look at the shooting numbers, they did not play well. Uh, Aaliyah Gregory had a bad night. She was 2 of 11 from the field. Zai Lewis wow. was 3 of 11, 1 of 6 from three-point range. She was the only player to try a three. Um, it was really the uh, the interior players. Jocelyn Massey uh, was uh, four of eight from the field. Uh, she had uh, eight rebounds, nine points. Um, Tolo McCore, three of four from the field, seven points. Uh, but the leading scorer for UCF tonight was uh, Fifi Endor. She was seven of eight from the field. She had a big layup uh, on the fast break late that sort of put the game away for uh, UCF. Um, so 14 plus eight rebounds for Fifi. And then KK Wright had a good game coming off the, uh, coming off the bench, uh, four or five from the field. So, uh, and 10 points. So she was the second leading scorer on the team. And, uh, as a team, UCF, um, shot 47%, but held Tulane to just 35% on their home floor. Tulane shot four of, here's the, I thought was the difference. Uh, Tulane shot four of 21 from three-point range. UCF only one of six, which is what, mm. which goes back to what Coach Abe was telling us at the start of the season, right? She wants to pound the ball inside, and she had the people to do it tonight against what I thought was an undersized Tulane team. And, uh, and to get this win at eight, you know, to be 18 and nine, and I'm pulling up our schedule to finish out, uh, you know, we talked about the men's team having, you know, sort of a, uh, you know, sort of a gut check in these la- those last two games. Um, the women have their last two games at home. They play SMU on Saturday uh, in a few days, and then they finish up Monday. Senior day is ag- or senior night rather uh, is against Temple. And in check of the standings, like you were saying, Eric, uh, Temple right now second in the league at eleven and three overall. And what was the other thing? SMU. They are they're pretty far down in the league. They're five and eight, uh, fourth from the bottom. So um, the SMU game certainly winnable. Temple game is going to be tough, uh, but like I said, you have that game at home, kind of like the men's. The men's have uh, Cincinnati, have that Cincinnati game, that last, the toughest game in the last yep. two at home. So um, UCF right now fourth place in the league, like you were saying, Eric and. Uh, they would if that if that holds up. They would the women's tournament works the same way as the men. They get the bye, the four five team, the four and five seeds get the bye to the quarterfinal, uh, and the five right now is Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, although Tulane first, is right there. Uh, actually, Tulane dropped the game, so they're uh, seven, seven and eight. And eight. Cincinnati, so, Tulane is two and eight. Tulane is seven and eight. Right, Cincinnati, so Cincinnati kind of has that game in hand in the loss column right now, at least at the moment. 
at the moment, but I mean, Cincinnati still got to play Temple uh, this weekend. That's a big game for them. They, I mean, the thing about Cincinnati, I mean, it's it, it, UCF got a gift, you know, in my opinion, with oh, yeah. respect to because Cincinnati, a team that you and I have both seen up close, uh, lost to East Carolina to give UCF this one game cushion because UCF and Cincinnati were tied. And Cincinnati lost to an East Carolina team that had lost 12 in a row. I just Cincinnati, finished watching the, the, the least consistent team in this conference this year. With so much talent. Yeah, they got talent, too. I mean, I, I you know, there's, you know, like Shanice Johnson. one come, night and they're awful. Yeah, guys. yeah. And so UCF has a one-game lead over Cincinnati for that fourth spot. Now, let me, let's even dream a little further. This is a bit of a long shot, but okay. follow me on this, all right? All right. So UCF's eight and six. Mm-hmm. In fourth place, USF is ten and four. Okay, they're in third. Mm-hmm. USF, oh, you've seen in person as well, by the way, for the record. Right. Uh, will play this weekend at home. Their last home game is against Tulsa. They will be the favorites. They should win that game. But USF's been scuffling a little bit. There's a little. Here's a scenario: If UCF were to win their last two games, that puts them at ten and six. Let's say USF gets upset by Tulsa. All right. When I've seen Tulsa do this, Tulsa upset UCF earlier this year. They can hit the three. That would drop USF to ten and five. You want to guess who USF finishes the regular season with? UConn. Yep, at UConn. <laughs> now, so let me tell you why. Why else that also I, I also find that interesting. All right, let's say the if the top four stays the way they are and they all advance to say the conference semifinals, then you have UCF playing UConn in the semis because they would be mm-hmm. one against four, and then Temple against USF Correct. in the 2-3. If UCF somehow some, somehow gets past USF, if they somehow jump USF in the standings, then they get to avoid UConn until they would get to the, the championship. American Championship game. So and that would, scenario be, that that I would presented, be a really interesting scenario, wouldn't it? And that's the scenario that would have to happen, which would be USF loses right. out. And UCF would have to win out. It's 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 long shot because again USF I think I and you and you have seen them up close. I have not, but I've seen them on television. They should bounce back against Tulsa, having a week off after the loss to Temple at home. I, I'd like to think they're going to win their last home game, but there is some added pressure to them because if they lose that game to Tulsa, they're going to go to UConn, and then if they lose that game and UCF wins out, then USF drops to the four seed and UCF moves up to the three, which would be insane to even say that. But I, you know, like I said, let's just it's it's, it's a you know to launch it. But hey, you never know; stranger things have happened. Um, it's just remarkable we're even talking about the forcing. Now we're talking about we talked about earlier about Coach Dawkins and his chances for Coach of the Year. I feel like it's here's the interesting one: Do you just give it to Gino just automatically? You know that that's the one. You know they could just do that. Ha- I think you got to have two awards, right? right? You, you give one to Gino. <laughs> And then yeah. you give, and then you give another one to the you know non UConn coach of the year. I mean, probably they won one hundred and one well, games in a row. Right, like we're so, talking about yeah. cross sports. Uh, you know, across sports, that's remarkable. I think was it was it the Penn State volleyball team? I should have known that a Penn State volleyball team a few years ago, and they they won four straight national titles, and they won something like ninety something matches in a row. I have to go back and look at it, but UConn's won one hundred and one games in a row. <laughs> It's crazy. So we assume Gino gets the coach of the year. If, if it wasn't Gino, because, you know, they want to give it to somebody different, it's probably between Abe and the Temple coach as far as who would get the coach of the year. Because I think what she's done is a phenomenal job. This team, 
to even approach this amount of wins. And, and I think this is the thing. And we didn't even bring this up with Dawkins. It's basically the same team as last year. Yeah. For both of these programs, that's what's crazy. Two, they was the same, basically the same roster. The only added player on the women's side was KK Wright, the freshman, the local kid. Uh, the men's side, you know, jeez, uh, with Bangard, I guess. Who, who's yeah. the new guy? I mean, you know. So in other words, it's the same roster. This women's team was in single digits in wins. Hashtag it's coaching just- matters. And I mean, let me just say this, because I've obviously recently had the privilege of called two UCF women's basketball games for the American Digital Network, uh, which I've always very, you know, I've worked with Despina Barton uh, and stuff like that. Great crew. As you know, Jeff, you worked with the same crew, uh, yep. Drew Vincent and Scott Rainey, all those guys. Uh, you know, one of the the, 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 the the things that I have the luxury of is I get shoot around. I get to go to shoot around, for example, to get prepped for the broadcast and uh I've been very impressed with Coach Abe and, and just being attention to detail with these kids and, and you know, and pointing out the mistakes right away and correcting them. And, and really, she has a way of keeping them at the attention and knowing that, hey, you know, I'm going to be hard on you. But at the same time, I'm also going to hug you when, you know, if you do well, you know, and, and there's that balancing act. And uh, I've just been very impressed uh, by the job she's done. She's done a phenomenal job, a phenomenal job uh, with this team and to pick up another big win and to be at the top half of this league. And again, I want to point out what we just talked about re- a few minutes ago. This is a league that's going to get at least three teams into the NCAA tournament, maybe four. So it's not like, hey, this is a soft league. This is a good league. This is a great year for the yeah. American Conference and for her and UCF to accomplish this remarkable i'm blown away by it just remarkable and again i'm going to keep saying this every time i mention it credit to danny white credit to danny white who i would say has hit two home run hires with the basketball programs yeah i I agree and 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 i thought that it went back to even to see you know how well ucf i know this is going to sound strange but the way that they played against uconn in that game at home, even though they lost the game, and UConn did UConn things for that to happen, they forced them defensively to move into a zone. They made UConn really have to think, and you just knew that you, you knew that the real that, that the difference obviously was the talent gap. You know, I mean, there's just a talent gap between UCF and UConn right now. But if Coach Abe is able to recruit, as I'm sure she hopes she does, you know, who knows? Who knows what happens in the next? three, four years if they get better. By the right. way, an, another little um, note I wanted to make about UConn, just to show how impressive they've won. It was 101 games in a row, and I mentioned the Penn State volleyball team. They won, uh, let's see, what it, from, from 2000, they won four consecutive national championships from 07 to 10. And uh, under head coach Russ Rose, they won 109 matches in a row. So that, I think, is, you know, there's no one else in basketball that they're chasing after. I mean, you, you, you know, they're, they've obviously long beaten the UCLA men's streak. Now, now they're chasing after streaks in sports other than basketball. So they're, they're chasing down the Penn State women's volleyball streak. Ask Todd Dagenet about that and how good those Penn State teams were, by the way, right. Russ Rose, because he knows Russ pretty well um, from his days sure. in the Big Ten. And, and that was... I, I mean, for them to do what – for that team to do what they did is pretty pretty remarkable. And so to see what UConn has been doing is phenomenal. But, you know, sure. it's, it's easy to obscure 
for for the headlines that they make to obscure what you know teams like UCF have been doing in the American this year. So two and, games and, to go, right? And a couple things. UCF obviously women's just like the men trying to play themselves into a postseason. Uh, and, there and is the, the tournament, tor- by the way, also in Connecticut should be mentioned. Conference tournament, yes, that's at the Mohican Sun. Yeah, in by the way, Uncasville, Connecticut, <laughs> at the Mohican Sun Casino. It's, it, uh, yeah, you know, it it isn't it is be, yes, NCAA is holding this in a casino. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, they're I mean they're playing it. In, I mean, the Connecticut uh, the WNBA franchise played their home games there and stuff like that. Right. So it's not. I don't think there's. And, you know, stuff like that. It's not like there's spreads for women's basketball that they're concerned about or anything like that. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying, you but, know, how the NCAA is about, you know, gambling and whatnot. Well, they're, 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 playing a tar- they're playing a conference tournament in a, in a casino. I've heard it's very nice. I've heard it's very it nice. It is. It's I gorgeous. I haven't been there directly, but. Um, and then the men's, yeah, team, so the, the men's game, obviously, is in Hartford. But go ahead. The XL Center, correct. Um, but the women's team you know, based on how they do here, they finish here in the conference. They got a shot not only to get 20 wins, but again, just like the men, get into a postseason uh, as far as maybe a WNIT, okay? Yes. Or I, I believe there's a WBI, which is the CBI version for the women, uh, not as, le- you know. But the point is, think about this. UCF women's basketball, the last time they made the, the postseason was the 2011 NCAA tournament. But really, the only time this program's ever made postseason is when they win the automatic bid in a conference tournament, whether it be back in the day of the A-Sun or Conference USA. They've never actually made a postseason unless they won the automatic bid. So if this team were to earn a postseason bid in a league, uh, that I think that speaks volumes. And a tremendous credit to the players and the coach uh, for, for buying in. And they've gotten better. Because early in the year, there was a question of inconsistency, the up and down. They're not used to winning. Now they've bought in more. And back to this Tulane win, impressive to have won the way they did without Aaliyah Gregory, who was due for an off day. Let's give the kid yeah. a break. She just The American Player of the Week has been on an amazing roll. I think she's been averaging close to about 30 points a game during this winning uh, the previous four wins. Uh, she just hit over a thousand point mark in her career. She had 27 in the win against East Carolina, 34 in the win against USF. Has been playing at a super high level. So she was due for a down game, but I think it speaks volumes that her and Zai Lewis both had off games and they found a way to win. That would not have been the case, I think, a month ago. I agree, and 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 credit to the uh, big people for stepping it up and picking yeah. up the slack. That's and, that's and, what they that they've been looking for that. I think that coach Abe has tried to set that up for them to for for them to be able to do that and they finally have been able to do it. And and let's give credit to one guy outside of the program that saw this coming and he said it and you were there and he said it at the time and I think people kind of scoffed at it. He's like, "Oh, he's just saying that to be nice." Right? Gino Riema kind of Yeah, Gino was right. This. Gino Didn't was he? right. Uh-huh. Um we're, you know, and that's the thing that blows me away. He said he like he thinks this team was going to win a lot of games. They're going to give a lot of problems to a lot of teams, um, and he was right. And uh, so, it, you know, it's uh, just remarkable. And hopefully, people can go out there this weekend for their home games. If not, you know, you got the you said the Saturday game against SMU, and then the Monday night one's a big one. Temple's a top twenty-five team. Uh, we'll see and if they stay in the top night and, and yeah, I, I would hope that people come out for that game on Monday night because. Uh, <laughs> That team deserves to see that. That team deserves a good crowd for that game as well. So, uh, we got two senior nights coming up: women's basketball and men's basketball. It's my least favorite time of the year. <laughs> I just I can't stand senior night on any sport. 
but wow. uh, I, no, I really, and it's, it's because it's so, it's so, it's, it's so emotional and it's, to me, it's sad, you know, and, um, cause you hate saying goodbye, but, um, and then it's anticlimactic. It's like, you have the ceremony and all right, well, we got to go play a game now. And then everyone, everyone's a total basket case before the game. And, and it's just, well, it's, what, well, it's well some teams, some people do it afterwards. Yeah. But, uh, uh, Todd Dagenet does this. He, he, he has the senior ceremony after the senior match, sure. which right, I think Renee is smart. The same thing. Yeah, yeah, Renee does the same thing. Yes, I, I uh, think that's I think that's smart right? because you kind of you kind of hold off on the uh, on the um, on the emotional aspect of it until after the game is over, you know, which I think is a which I think is a smart thing because then you can you know it's it, it's hard it, it it is really hard because you know how emotional it is you know it's been, you know, four years there you know or sometimes five you know so, right no no question about that real quick somebody yeah. brought this up to, at the arena when I was at the women's game. For UConn, would you rather get them early in the conference tournament or get them in the final? Some, some, you know, there's a theory out there. You get them early, maybe they sneak. You can sneak up on them in the semis or something like that. Whereas in the final, they know that you know, hey, right here, we're playing for a championship. We're ready to rock and load. If Not I suggesting were, that there's a big difference, but you know, just you know, if I were a team like USF who does consider themselves, you know, like like they feel like they're ready to challenge UConn, or at least they're close to being ready to challenge UConn. I would say, yeah, I want them early. I want them in the quarters, you know, when they they're kind of getting a little rusty. They'll look at they'll look at us and be like, all right, you know, we'll knock out this team in the first round, and then and then you kind of cause a little havoc and then and and get them out of sync. On the other hand, if you're a team that might maybe uh, your ex your your expectations might not be as high, if you are a UCF, I would prefer to have them in the championship game so I could win as many games uh, leading into that game and get hot. And then who knows? Maybe the heat continues, right? Um, and now because I'm also don't forget I'm also padding my resume for the postseason after that. Maybe I don't get to the NCAA, but you're right. Maybe I get to the WNIT or the WBI, and I would want to win as many games as possible before I had to face the eight, you know, the 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 juggernaut that is UConn right now. So, all right. So let's. Uh, so by the way, women's tournament is next week. By the way. Uh, wow. At uh, already, already March the third is when the American Athletic Conference Championship starts uh, at uh, Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, which is actually, actually all pretty close. It's on the, just on the Connecticut side of the Connecticut Rhode Island border. If you're looking, and and on the southern part, uh, not too far from not too far from the ocean. So uh, we'll have some updates for you on that, and hopefully a preview coming up uh, next week. So all right, let's take a quick breather. And uh, stick around. When we come back, we'll talk a little UCF baseball. They're getting off to a start. Uh, they're getting off to a hot start this season. Also talk softball and uh, clean up some loose ends. We've got some mailbag action here for the first time on the Black and Gold, pod- Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Stick around. We're back after this. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on. Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. 
And welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. Let's switch gears over to baseball. The Greg Lovelady era is underway with and uh, underway in a in an impressive fashion as the Knights uh, are 4-0 to start the season. They sweep the Siena Saints in the uh, season opening uh, weekend, three-game set. Got off to one hell of a start, too, in the, uh, in the first game, Eric. They w- defeat Siena 17-6, to scoring 10 runs in the first inning and, uh, and did not look back. 21 hits for the Knights uh, on the evening. Uh, getting the victory uh, for – where the heck is it? There it is. Uh, Robbie Howell did get the victory to start the season for UCF. He gave up three runs on five hits. Uh, only one of them was earned, however. Um, and uh, uh, Coach uh, Coach Lovelady talked about his bullpen. He used, you know, and that he was not going to be afraid to use it. Uh, he used five pitchers out of the bullpen. Uh, Andrew Roloff uh, ended up finishing it off. Obviously, not a safe situation. But the Knights um, knocked off Siena on opening night. Well attended alumni weekend. We'll talk about that in a second. But uh, then they beat Siena three nothing on Saturday and seven to two on Sunday. Uh, then had to come back and play an in-state team, UNF, out of, uh, out of the A-Sun on Tuesday. And, uh, and I thought this was pretty impressive. This is a close game. 3-2 was the final. UNF jumped out uh, to the one nothing lead in the second. Knights uh, tied it in the fourth and then went ahead 2-1 to in the fifth. Uh, fell down in the seventh, but then answered to take the lead uh, in the bottom of the seventh and then uh, slammed the door on UNF in the final two innings to get the win 3-2. to uh, it was uh, Kryle who got the uh, the sacrifice fly to uh, to actually clinch the game for UCF. So um, they played a little small ball in that game, and it certainly worked out. So Ryan Kryle, the DH, you know, batting in a two spot, um, was able to take care of business for the Knights in that one. Um, winning pitcher for UCF in that game was Jordan Sheffs out of the bullpen uh, through two thirds. Uh, to get the win. Chris Williams got the start, gave up five hits, but only one run. He only threw four, so he didn't get the win in that one. But, hey, 4-0, not too bad to start things for the Greg Lovelady era, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, they took care of business of Siena, which they should and did. Uh, North Florida's a pretty good team out of the A Sun there. Smoke Laval, the head coach there. So they got a well-coached mm-hmm. team there. So I think that's a good, solid win. It was interesting to, uh, listening to Lovelady. In fact, uh, you know, after the game, right now he talked about, and I agree with him so far from what I've seen. I think right now the pitching right now has kind of carried this team. I still think they're still trying to figure themselves out on off- offensively. And as you hear here from Coach Lovelady, he tends to feel the that's kind of how he feels about his team right now. I mean, it shows that we're tough. I mean, that we're able to compete and that we're not going to get down. And, you know, I think it's easy when, you know, we get the lead and then we give it back to, to just get frustrated. And But we don't. Luke Hamlin does a phenomenal job of getting a hustle single, um, just beats the pitcher to the bag, um, ends up scoring the game-winning run. Uh, Ryan Crowell had a phenomenal uh, day offensively, just a bunch of quality at bat. That's moving runners over, uh, gets the stack fly, uh, the game went in RBI. So uh, just really proud. Again, we're, we're scuffling a little bit offensively right now. Um, we'll be better. Uh, I'm not worried about it. Uh, but the pitchers are, are, are carrying us right now. And, and But we're scoring runs when we need to, getting manufacturing some runs. We left some runs on the board today. I thought we, we had a chance to blow the game open, and we didn't. Um, but when we need the, the you know the big hit or the big sack fly or, or somehow move a runner, uh, we've been doing that. And uh, that's what you got to do sometimes. And with the pitchers, the way we're throwing the ball right now, um, that's, that's how we got to win games. Yeah, so there you have it, Jeff. I, I think it's so early in college baseball, especially. It's a grind. 
Uh, I think I, I liked how Robbie Hal threw an opening night. I like how some of the arms have looked. Uh, I get a sense too that I think Love Lady's going to have roles for these guys. Yeah, Bryce Tucker not, got two saves in those first four games. He's looked too, very yeah. good. Looked very good. And I get a sense that Love Lady will trust his guys and trust them in the bullpen. Whereas I think that was one of the criticisms of Coach Rooney is that he lost confidence in guy in certain guys really quickly and would only trust one or two guys out of the bullpen. It's tough to win that way in college baseball. I think Lovelady's got a longer leash, and I, 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 yeah, I, I think this pitching staff will be better than maybe we think they are based on that. The question's going to be offensively, and I think they're still trying to figure out some things. And Lovelady even has said he is not a guy that's going to throw out the same lineup every game. Uh, there's going to be always new lineups and different guys in. So I think a lot of guys will have their opportunities, and it'll be interesting who steps in and who kind of takes that next step. So very, it's, But it's very early, very early. Um, I don't really take too much from Siena because I don't think they're very good. I don't know what we'll learn from the Manhattan series. but UCF, by the way, 51-4 and four all time against Siena. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but look, they got to take care of business. And obviously – a lot of people, I think, are going to pay a lot closer attention next week, Jeff, when they have a home-and-home home with Florida. And mm-hmm. that'll be big, going to Gainesville and then hosting Florida. I think that's when a lot – I think that's going to be when the, the casual baseball fan will tune in and I think maybe see, okay, what does this team have and you know what, what, what are we, where we're at and where kind of it meets. Even though it's a midweek, and I think people have to remember it's a midweek. Midweek baseball games are a little overblown sometimes in college baseball. Uh, because you're not throwing your weekend rotation guys, and which are normally your top three pitcher and stuff like that. But nonetheless, uh, you know, look, confidence is a key. The, if this team can play well and, and keep winning, it builds confidence. And I think that's the big thing here is about building confidence and, and that mojo to get these guys, you know, believing that they can accomplish what their internal goals are. A couple notes also from the weekend. Uh, Joe Sheridan, um, Appeared in uh, three games and uh, actually pitched actually pitched pretty well for UCF out of the pen. Uh, Juan Pimentel looked really good in his start. Yeah, uh, yeah. Five and a third, gave two runs uh, or excuse me, no runs on two hits and struck out four. Only walked only one. Um, so that was encouraging to see too. So yeah, I, 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 you obviously these are the games that you should win. You know, you got these teams coming down from up north. You know, for example, you know, for example, Siena uh, this weekend. I know UNF doesn't really count as that, but uh, Siena in particular, this coming weekend, they got a three-game set against Manhattan, uh, another team coming from uh, New York uh, down here. So Siena came down from Albany, Manhattan came down from New York, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for that, and the first game, 6.30, 6.30, and noon, respectively, first pitches coming up. And then, of course, Tuesday uh, and Wednesday, you mentioned that, home and home against Florida, that's going to be big. Uh, before you have another three-game weekend set against another team from the state of New York. This is Stony Brook coming into town. March, oh, March 13th. So we're loading up on those Wait a minute. Uh, northeastern teams here. Yeah, but let us we're not going <laughs> to scoff on Stony Brook. There's the history. That's true. The 2012 regional. Very, very, uh, to me, as I've said, may, maybe uh, one of the more painful uh, sporting events in UCF really athletic history when you think about it. A win away from advancing to your first ever Super Regional in Miami, in the Coral Gables Regional, and then uh, lose twice back-to-back to Stony Brook, who then ended up upsetting LSU and going to the World Series. So, yeah, they were in the College World Series. People I, forget I, that, how how good yeah, Stony Brook is, yeah, or was I just know. recently. 
and um, are still are. Yeah. So that's not that's not a uh, <laughs> we're not that that's a Stony Brook's different than Siena and and Manhattan. With all due respect to Manhattan and Siena, Stony Brook's a little different deal there. So I don't want to put them in the same category from that, even though they are Northeast. But man, uh, obviously they are a good baseball program and. I have a feeling that regional will be brought up uh, by the fan base and the message boards. Last and all year that they one. were a 500 team, though, Stony Brook. Well, they lost some graduations from that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that college I don't, World I don't Series here they went they went 52 and 15. That Unbelievable. Was 2020, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but you know they they you know I mean that's as good as they were. You know they've kind of fallen off a little bit. Still, still a, you know solid Amer- team out of the American East. But you know, like you said, don't 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 scoff at that. Uh, they might be good again. Central Michigan also is another team that's coming down from up north. A and team that's beat UCF in the past, too, yeah. recently. Yeah, so, that's true. You so, know. And Florida State, of course, on the back-to-back. Uh, both those games at home, by the way, Tuesday and Wednesday, March 7th through 8th. So that's in between the Stony Brook and Central Michigan. So things are going to really ramp up for UCF baseball here in this non-conference part of the, of the schedule uh, before the conference opener at the end of March. So... Um, but hey, like four zero, really good start, and congrats to Coach Lovelady. By the way, um, alumni weekend this past uh, weekend at UCF baseball, and an old familiar face was there, wasn't he? Yeah, we had Jay Bergman. Yeah, the old base, the great baseball legend, the old man. Uh, was there through the alumni. There is over fifty, from what I understand, fifty former players going back to the eighties, nineties. Uh, that that. Played for Coach Bergman even to the 2000s. Uh, they were there. It was a huge turnout. In fact, uh, Coach Lovelady talked about what a great turnout it was and how it, great it was to see people that care about the program uh, being there in support. It was awesome. I mean, great. We had over 50 alums in there. Um, and so it was a lot of fun. Just good to see the, the people that care about the program and um, and obviously an icon here. So, so it was good. It was fun for me. Jeff, I think this was great and a great credit to Coach Lovelady on this. From what I understand, he reached out to the alumni. And I think he coming from the University of Miami program and playing for Jim Morris, but knowing how Jim Morris had Ron Frazier and yeah, the, the tradition Frazier, of the Miami yeah. program and how all the former Hurricane players still uh, support that baseball program. I think Greg Lovelady wants that, the same with UCF. And I think a smart move by him to reach out to Coach Bergman. I wouldn't be surprised that when he reached out to former alumni that they brought up Jay Bergman because that's been a topic for a lot of the former alumni. Mm -hmm. Jeff, you and I were there at the Hall of Fame ceremony in 2015. That was the Hall of Fame class that Stephanie Best, the softball legend, got inducted. Asante Samuel got inducted. What was it, the 78 volleyball team that won the national title? 78 volleyball team, yep. Was inducted. And Dee Brown was inducted as a baseball player. And Clay Tipner inducted him. And do you remember what who both of them brought up uh, frequently during their speeches? Oh, it was, was Jay. Jay yeah. Yeah. And so I know that a lot of the alumni and those players, some of them have, quite frankly, not been around the program because Bergman hasn't been around uh, because how things ended. And so – it was great to see Jay there, and I think it was a great olive branch to bring, invite him to come out. I mean, I think it's the first time that Jay Bergman's been at a UCF baseball game since he left the program back mm-hmm. in 2008. So it tells you how long ago it is. And what was great, I saw some photos um, and things like that, and he looks great still. And I think that's great. I, I'm a big believer that your tradition matters 
in all your college sports and especially in those like college baseball. And I think yeah. Love Lady gets that. Especially for and, a, a, a school that is as young as ours. You need to really work hard to get that to, to get, like you said, that tradition yeah. to, and to I move would argue, that forward. And I, I think and it's really good. I'm glad that we embrace that. And I think it, from a men's sports standpoint, baseball is the best traditional sport that they have with due respect to football. Baseball's been to regional finals going back to the 90s. Uh, they've been up, you know, they were a perennial NCAA tournament team and winning conference championships and so forth. And so, uh, that they have great tradition with, uh, I believe what Mike Maroth played in the major leagues and you've mm-hmm. had other guys that have Chad been successful. Was on a long time player in the pros. Yeah. Funny, exactly. funny, funny story about him. I, I, I was Drew Butera most recently. Drew Butera, yeah. yeah. Caught the final out of the world series. Mm-hmm. Um, Funny story about Chad Mattel, if I can get to that. I would love to. I, I hope that I could. Yeah, he's actually coaching in, I think, the Blue Jays system now. But um, but uh, when he was playing, he was playing with the uh, Syracuse Chiefs, and he was up there, the AAA team um, that's a, an affiliate of the Blue Jays, at least at the time they were. And uh, he was, um, and, and like literally uh, maybe a few dozen people in Syracuse would come to these games. <laughs> Uh, but one night, you know, I was I was up there in grad school at the time, and I was like, and, and you know, and I see Chad out there, and, and I knew that he was a UCF player. Hey, Chad, let's go Knights! And like he perked up for a second and kind of looked around, like who said that? And 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 then I was and then I was able to say, hey, you know, I was from UCF, but that was pretty cool that that you know we got kind of a UCF moment up there up in freaking Syracuse, New York, of all places. I think there was still snow that was. <laughs> that was up on the uh, up outside of the uh, the the uh, outfield fences out there when we were there, but um, but that was a good time. And and you need guys like that who um, who who you know know what it was like back in the day before they built that ballpark, you know. And uh, and I think that just that makes a that, that it just makes a tremendous difference because it also shows the young players like you know you, you guys aren't you guys are following the footsteps of people who really. Um, who 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 set a pretty high standard for UCF, especially in baseball, and I think that matters tremendously, and 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 it gives them something to really look forward to. Like, this is going to be you guys one day. So, what sort of legacy do you want to leave? And I I really applaud Coach Lovelady for that, and I know you do too. I do. I am a big fan of that, and I think he's won some people over with that. I expect he's. I mean, it's not. An, I think a lot of the alumni is going to be behind, have his back. It's probably the best, biggest win he's had so far. You know, that's even bigger than the four wins he's had so far. I think that was significant because I am a believer in embracing the history and the tradition. And I I think sometimes we all get lost in what's next and what the future is. And sometimes you just got to look at the past and and have the past help you get to the future. And I think that was great. Uh, Great moment. I know a lot of people that went to that were excited. And I've talked to some people that are probably most excited they've been about the program in a few years. So uh, we'll hope, you know, we'll try to, uh, that, that was a positive sign. So I, I, uh, very pleased there. I thought that was significant and uh, good, good job by all parties involved. Credit to uh, Scott. I, I, forgive me if it's Scott Lubier or you, or Lubier who, uh, who tweeted out a photo of Coach Lovelady and Coach Bergman uh, from the UCF baseball offices. It's on, uh, it's on the UCFSports.com message board. Um, Lubier Scott is the uh, is the Twitter handle. He sent that out. Really nice picture. Really, um, and, and that's good to see. So, and what's great about the Bergman is I feel he has the, the, and why tradition is so big is everybody has a is kind of connected to him in some ways. Right. I mean, well, he's I here for so I, long. 
How many years did you broadcast baseball when you were four, a student? Four years. All four years. What years were they? Were, it uh, was 02, 02, 02, 03, 04, and 05. So you were there for those last couple great teams, like the 04 team, for example, uh, that was the one that got to the regional final in Tallahassee, lost to Stephen Drew in Florida State yeah. uh, that year. Uh, but that was a strong UCF team. So you got to see some of his late bet last – really, that was probably his last best team he had uh, in 04. You know, in 05, they just missed the NCAA tournament. They lost in the A-Sun semis in delay, and that was the year Stetson uh, won the tournament. But that, that there were some good teams back then. I called games from 06 to 08, so I was at the end there where it started to kind of dip a little bit. Uh, but I've been going to baseball games since the since Jay Bergman Field opened in February of 2001. And, uh, and, and so that's kind of my point. I mean, Chris Tuno, I know, for example, who was the SID back then at UCF Baseball, he's now a media relations guy for the St. Louis Cardinals. He made all the way to – to that opener just to see Coach Bergman, for example. Uh, and there's many other stories like that. So uh, I just think that's a pretty cool deal. And and I, there's something about that. And you can only get that in college. There's something about that that, you know, you come back to campus 10, 20 years later and there's a connection there that uh, it's hard to duplicate, isn't it? Well, I mean, you can say, you can say the same thing for, you know, like even you – know, obviously we, did, we weren't athletes, but, you know, when – we have a. This is why we do this podcast. Is because we have such a deep connection to our alma mater. Yeah. And and uh, and and, for, and I, I can't even imagine. And, and we were just we were just, you know, sports nerds. You know, screaming into screaming into antiquated microphones that we got off of Amazon and eBay. I mean, we, you know, I mean, imagine if we were actually athletes. You know, the connection that you build with those guys that you're there around all the time for four years. I mean, I, I you know I can only imagine what that must have been like. So. Um, that was yeah yeah I mean the, those teams I particularly that that was an 04 team that was really good and just heartbreaking the way that that sort of finished out but um, tremendous credit to Coach Lovelady for you know bringing that back and it, it, I I wish I could I wish I had the chance I was away for the weekend um, at a at, at that NASA social event by the way which was a pretty interesting experience I would have had the chance I wish I had the chance to be there for those games but. One of these days, I'll make my way down for one of those uh, alumni events, and I want to see Coach Bergman and some of the other guys that are down there. You know, remember Matt Fox, uh, yeah, you know, Drew Butera, uh, some of those other guys down there that would have been fun to see. Clay Tipner, of, of course, you know, that would have been fun to see. So, um, so yeah, four and zero for UCF baseball, and they got three coming up against Manhattan uh, this weekend. On the other diamond softball, Eric Lopez, mm-hmm. uh, married daughter classic out in California. UCF splits the two games that they played out in Palm Springs. Bad rain in Palm Springs, <laughs> California. Well, yeah. Now, listen, everyone thinks about California and they think about, you know, well, you know, they've had a bad drought, you know, everything. Well, the, well, the drought's now over. But bear in mind, Palm Springs is not in like everyone thinks Palm Springs is in like Los Angeles. It's not. Palm Springs is in the desert in the in the middle of the state, basically, you know, in in the southern half of California. But you go look on a map. Palm Springs is. Is yeah, it, it is a desert out there, and there was rain that ruined the tournament basically for everyone who was there. But uh, UCF did not get to play Cal or Loyola Marymount. They won. Uh, they uh, split their two games. First game they split on that Friday against Cal Poly. Uh, they won that game in nine innings, two to one. Uh, a big win for the Knights before they uh, lost to UCLA uh, one to nothing. I think it was number one UCLA is that right? 
top six. There top are six, six okay. But yeah, uh, right. uh, but in the Cal Poly game, Jasmine Esparza with the uh, with the walk off winner uh, to get it, to yeah. win the game for UCF, and uh, you know, hey, that's a long trip against a really good team, basically in, not in their backyard, but in their state, certainly. And uh, Aaliyah White went the full nine, gave up one run, three hits, walked five, but struck out five. And uh, that's a nice little RPI win, don't you think, against Cal Poly? Yes. Uh, Jasmine Esparza, by the way, though, who hit the walk-off hit, California girl. That's you right. Know, so, so with the walk-off hit, it's a good win against a good Cal Poly team. That's, that's why Coach goes out to California every year. Well, here's <laughs> the thing. That was the first win ever in the state of California you know, in those tournaments. All these years, they've been going up there. And including last year when they went to Mary Nutter, they've been going to San Diego for tournaments. They've never won a game until that game. That was their first win in the state of California. Uh, so that was a milestone. And that's something Aaliyah White can build on. Her first big win as a night will be a memorable one. And I'll tell you, Jeff, she's been tremendous. Her last two games have been her best game. She's getting better and better for each game that she throws. And then the UCLA game, a one nothing UCLA win. Manemi Calixto, the senior, I think, threw her best game of her tenured as a black and gold member. She was phenomenal in that game, shutting down a dynamic UCLA offense that's got multiple players on that lineup that are player of the year candidates. Yeah, I was impressed with the pitching uh, from those two. That is significant moving forward for both of them. They came away from that tournament with a lot of confidence. Interesting how they will fare when they go to Tuscaloosa now. They got to go to Tuscaloosa for the Bama Bash. Mm-hmm. They're going to be playing Alabama twice in that tournament. They're going to be playing Texas Tech out of the Big 12, where Coach Gillespie actually coached there. Before that's, right. UCF. That's, that's, that's the answer to the trivia question. What was Coach Gillespie's yep. job, last job before UCF 16 yes, years ago? There. Texas Tech. He coached there. And then uh, they've got Gardner Webb in that tournament for a couple games. Old day Sun Foes. Yeah, so I'll be curious to see how White and Calixto can build that momentum going against Alabama. Uh, I had a chance to – I was watching Alabama play. They were playing North Florida prior to our uh, – we started this podcast. So, uh, And they're a very loaded, young, talented team. Interesting to see how those two pitchers, though, handle that Alabama offense in that venue in Alabama, which was a beautiful stadium. But I, I, I'm excited because that, you know, that was one of the big questions going in is who's going to pitch and you, know, you have all this youth pitching-wise. I think the pitching's going to be fine. It's just can that offense come around with so many young hitters, and when you know when does the light bulb kind of trigger for them? I think that's going to be the question for them uh, during this trip and during you know the the first half of this year. But uh, I think a lot of excitement of the future with Aaliyah White, and I think excitement about the fu- the immediate future with Calixto stepping up big time in that UCLA game. And I think if both of them can take that with them now moving forward the rest of the year. I think UCF's got a shot to maybe have the best pitching staff in the conference, which is huge uh, anytime. You can't win in softball, obviously, without pitching. So I think that's the big encouragement uh, coming away from that trip, as short as it was, was the pitching. And by the way, is there any weirder? What's weirder, do you think? Okay. In the last calendar year, UCF's had a game rained out in California of all places. In the desert in California. In the desert. Or the year in 2016 in April, UCF had a softball game snowed out. Of course, that was in Connecticut. But still, I would say I would say rain in the desert is a less likely event than snow in Connecticut. True, but still bizarre to have because that was a first for UCF softball. They've never been snowed out 
uh, like they were last year. I was up there. I remember that. I remember we woke up and it was like, hey, everybody's there's snow. And of course, we all did what <laughs> we all do. Everyone go outside. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, the game's canceled. Great. Let's two, play two with minutes later. Snow. Oh, crap. It's cold out. <laughs> yeah. It was a very unique experience having been a part of that. I mean, for me personally, that was the first time I've ever seen snow. So, You've never um, seen snow before? No. Never seen snow until that trip. It was hilarious. And it was funny, too, yeah, because hilarious. I regret the fact that I wasn't there to see it. Oh, it was hilarious. <laughs> and we we're kind of all blown away. Like people that might like myself that have not seen snow. were like, wow, there's a lot of snow on the ground. And and the people that have seen snow before, it's like, that's just like a couple of inches. It's no big deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, that, that, yeah, that's that's what happens is like you call this snow. This is just a dusting. Yeah, we, right. we don't even get the snowblower out for this. <laughs> Correct. So, yeah, I remember that. We got snowed out. That was a weird weekend. We only got one game in. That was the game where uh, Coach Gillespie got her milestone uh, 700th win of her coaching career. Shelby Turnier got her 70th win of her career. And then that was a one nothing win on a Friday. And then the Saturday games got washed out. And then Sunday got snowed out. <laughs> And it cost, really, UCF the Amer- the regular season title yeah. because they couldn't make those games up, really. So, um, but it was very unique, very unique. Uh, and then now getting rained out in the desert. I mean, the odds are just not, you know, very long shot, like you said. It's just very bizarre. But uh, let's say hopefully they can build that momentum going into Alabama against a, in a very good field. Great place, great host. Patrick Murphy and Alabama do a great job. UCF, of course, beat Alabama last year. Uh, when they were at UCF in a uh, first ever top 25 matchup at the complex, much different teams though uh, from that one. So uh, obviously uh, we'll see what Alabama is going to be ready for that. So it'll be a big challenge for the girls. So by the way, quick question for you. I mean, is it that whole thing about confidence that you mentioned? I mean, is that really yeah. real? Like, do you come, you come, you lose a game against UCLA. I mean, these, all these players, know, you know, they all know about UCLA, how good UCLA, you know, not just was, but is, Lisa Fernandez going back in the day. Is that really a confidence builder for a young team like that? Or do they come away from that game saying, dadgummit, we should have beaten them? Both. I think it's both. You could be both. I think you could be frustrated that you could have won, but I think you have confidence because, like, wow, we could have beaten that team. And, and, you know, I think for Manemi in particular, it's a big confidence booster as a pitcher. I'll never forget uh, Mackenzie Otis in her freshman year beat Florida. Uh, it was a night game at the complex, packed house. She shut out the Gators. They were ranked third in the country. It was a 2 nothing win, huge win. And I asked her about that afterwards. And the big thing that the reason she felt confident going up and getting into that Florida game, she said she felt confident because earlier in the year, UCF played in a tournament in San, Di- uh, San Diego. And they played teams like Washington. And they played UCLA. She pitched well against both of those teams. She didn't get the win. But she pitched great, and she said she gained confidence because she was able to shut down those lineups, so she felt good when she was going up against Florida. So I, I do think it pays. That's why Coach Gillespie likes to play those schedule the way she does because kids can build confidence on that. So for Manemi individually, even though she didn't get the win against UCLA, holding UCLA to one run, she's not going to see a lineup as good as UCLA probably the rest of the year, especially right. in conference. Yeah. So she has that confidence builder now. Anytime she steps in the circle, hey, I have the ability to p- pitch great because I did this against UCLA, so I'm capable of that. For Aaliyah, it's the same thing. Hey, I'm capable of pitching very well. And I think for the group is, man, we just, man, we just, we could have beaten UCLA. If we can just do this and this better, 
we got a chance. So, yeah, I think you can get confidence, but at the same time be frustrated as a young team. Yeah, so I think it's a little bit of both, but I think it, it can pay off down the road. All right. Well, here's hoping that, that it does, especially with the tournament coming up at sure. Alabama. Two against Gardner-Webb, two against Bama, one against Texas Tech Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, then they're at Florida Gulf Coast down at Fort Myers Wednesday, March the 1st, uh, before they have another home tournament with two against Providence and one against Florida Gulf Coast. The UCF Invitational, March 3rd, 4th, uh, and 5th. All right. Switching gears. We got a couple other things we got to catch you up on. Uh, men's golf finished tied for seventh at the Gator Invitational. Donnie Trosper uh, finished in the top 20 for UCF um, in that tournament. Women's golf uh, finished up the All-State uh, Sugar Bowl Classic in New Orleans, uh, finishing tied for ninth with Houston, by the way. Um, Ashley Holder was the top finisher for uh, UCF there. She finished tied for fifth uh, in the uh, individual medalist standings. Uh, Stanford was the uh, team winner, and Arizona's Haley Moore was the uh, individual winner in that. So I want to get uh, want to give a shout out to UCF golf there, both women's and men's. Um, this is great news out of track and field, Eric Lopez, um, which we didn't acknowledge before, but we need to acknowledge now. Um, junior Rosie Chamberlain uh, for UCF track and field. Um, has set a new school record in the 800 meters. She did so in Nashville uh, at the Music City Challenge. Uh, she finished seventh overall, but her time uh, in the 800 meters, 205.77. So two minutes, five, two minutes and 5.77 seconds. So <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty fast. I have, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Um, so, congrats to, uh, so congrats to her on that. Um, Let's see. And uh, also, we wanted to give a shout out to Janae Bellamy, who won the finals of the 60 meter. This is an indoor event that was in Nashville. Uh, she won a, the 60 meters with a 7.34. Uh, so, congratulations to her for that. And UCF finished third in the 4x400 relay with a time of 342.48. Uh, quick update for you on tennis uh, UCF defeated uh, women's tennis, defeated Florida Gulf Coast 6-1. Uh, uh, last Friday uh, at the USTA uh, National Campus. Uh, their record right now for the season is 8-1. and one. Remember, they don't have a conference. for uh, They don't have a, a conference season in tennis. They do have a conference championship at the end of the year. But uh, UCF women's tennis is off to a good start at 8-1 and one overall. And they have won, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 6, six in a row. Uh, and they've got... Ooh, Florida Atlantic coming up on Friday and then Liberty on Saturday. And then uh, men's tennis is at 6-1. and one. Uh, They knocked off FAU themselves uh, on uh, Sunday uh, at the USTA National Complex, 6-1 to one there. Uh, Coach Roddick's guys are, like I said, 6-1. and one. They've won three in a row, and they've got uh, TCU, another Big 12 opponent. Look at that. TCU coming in. Uh, this Saturday, the 25th, or, or no, not coming in. They're going to Fort Worth, I'm sorry, to take on TCU. Uh, and then they're going to Dallas to face SMU, and then they're at Baylor. So they got this three tough, wow, this is tough. Three uh, Big 12 matches, or three matches in the state of Texas, two against Big 12 teams in three days. February, 20, February the 25th, uh, Saturday against TCU, 
then that following day, that Sunday against SMU, then the following Monday at Baylor in Waco. So, uh, and that's before they come home for a March 5th match against Davidson. So good luck to uh, men's tennis on that uh, road trip out to Texas. Hopefully they can bring uh, back some W's uh, that, uh, you know, back from, you know, I'm sure <laughs> Coach Roddick knows a thing or two about winning in, t- in the state of Texas, him being from the next state north, doesn't he? Yeah, and I don't think it's an accident. He's got those two big 12 teams. Remember, he opened the season at home against Texas Tech. So he's already played. He already beat Texas Tech. So obviously with his ties, having been the head coach at Oklahoma, uh, I'm sure he was able to. It makes sense. You get kind of three quality teams, too. SMU is very good in the America, one of the top teams in tennis. So uh, to get quality games, that'll be a good test for them after being home for a while to see how they handle being on the road and see where they stay in after that trip. You know, I, I, I feel one of the things that I actually miss about my um, time as a video producer is, seeing, is, you know, giving credit to golf and tennis and some of those sports, at, you know, cross country. I had, I, I had a great time covering track and field when uh, we had track and field meets at UCF, too. That was always fun because I'd be running. I basically had free reign yeah. to run around the track and, and cover, you know, meet after meet. There was, sure. It was, it was like a mini Olympics all the time. It was a lot of fun. So uh, hopefully we'll I had a, a little bit more of that. Go ahead. I actually had a friend who was at that meet in Nashville. Uh, and he actually hit me up when that was going on. And he said that this is the best they've seen. You know, track and field was dominant for a while there. Uh, you could speak better to this than I can. A Carol few Smith years back. Gil- Carol Smith Gilbert, before she right. left, she really right. built up the program. And, uh, and and we saw, actually, for the Olympic qualifying, Jackie, she recruited Jackie Cowan, who, yep. um, who you know, made it to the U.S. Uh, uh, Olympic trial final in the uh, women's hurdles um, and a couple of other, you know, she had a couple other people come through who were also, you know, in line for Olympic team for the Olympic team, not just from the United States, but from a couple of other nations. And, um, and she really built up the program. And then she left and Jeanette Bolden's come in. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, this, you know, this program's, you know, right back to where they probably um, feel that they should, that they yes. were under, co- under, under coach Smith Gilbert. Right. Well, and the theory I heard, about this. And again, this is from somebody who knows more about track than I do. I'm more of a amateur track guy, you know, is with Gilbert, they were strong in specific events in mm-hmm. track and field. Whereas Bolden has tried and is trying to implement to be good at everything in track, not be good in one or two specifics, you know, like maybe, you know, be stronger in indoors and be consistent indoor, outdoor, but be good at every, uh, part of the track and field competition not be just strong in for example the 100 meters and the 200 meters but not be good in the long jump as a, as an example and that has taken some time to do that but they're getting to that level where they're going to be good at just about everything in track and field be dominant from that standpoint instead of just be dominant in specific uh you know spots in track and field competition you buying into that uh, yeah, I can see that. I mean, the the thing too is that you know Jeanette Bolden doesn't get enough credit as the head coach of uh, UCF women's track. This this is a person we talk about her as the coach. She was a competitor for the United States in the Summer Olympics in LA back in 1984, um, yes, and won the uh, gold in the four by one hundred relay. Um, you know, she she was a teammate, a contemporary of. You know some of the greats in use in U.S. track and field history, like Evelyn Ashford and Florence Griffith Joyner. Um, you know, it, it, she was coached by Bob Kersey, 
You know, if that name doesn't sound familiar, it should. Go look up Bob Kersey and what he's meant to United States track and field. So, uh, and she knows a thing or two about how to be, about how to be, uh, how to how to excel at these sports. And uh, and and a, a huge credit to Jeanette. I, I, I hopefully, 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 we can have her on the show too because I, you know, I just I, I want to, you know, I I love that sports history aspect of it and someone who's you know, been to Olympics, who's now coaching uh, our athletes at UCF. That's a fun thing to do. I, that doesn't surprise me one bit. So, All right, so let's go to the mailbag real quick. Um, from UCFsports.com message board. Um, by the way, uh, credit, by the way, to you, Eric, for, uh, for pushing the podcast up a little bit higher because I was a dope and I forgot to put it up on the UCF Sports message board over there. But uh, Kevin Reyes, who's been really um, you know, supportive and really interactive with us, you know, um, thank, wanted to thank Kevin for his incredible kindness and um, and 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 his, for complimenting us on the podcast. He always writes us on the message board, and Kevin, we really appreciate it. Uh, keep keep writing us. Uh, he does mention that you know uh, he enjoyed listening to our uh, recruiting show that we had with Brandon Helwig, uh, where he talked about you know the early days back in the uh, back in the nineties. You know when he was heavily involved with the team. Um, can, he says, uh, I cannot emphasize enough how much I always appreciate the effort our coaches put into recruiting. It really is 24-7 uh, sometimes. He said, uh, uh, just to add what, with what Brandon indicated, it would have been a better class if we had gotten a couple more offensive linemen. I would have fully supported a junior college quarterback. Also, for me, always comes down to supporting the players who committed uh, to UCF. Um, and uh, let's see what else. Oh, oh, he also mentioned that this, since this interview is prior to our Memphis game at home in basketball, uh, he says that uh, you and I, Eric, were concerned about how the team was doing after losing a few on the road, but that Memphis victory sure helped, sure seemed to refresh our place for the stretch run to possibly twenty victories. You're absolutely right uh, about that. I think that you know we'll look back on that and say that was a real that was a that was a major um, turning point maybe for this team. Um, yeah, losing uh, and, and he was uh, and, and well, he was also asking for your thoughts on softball, but I think you know we just gave it to him. So uh, you're welcome, Kevin. But um, but yeah, the um, maybe with the Byron, offensive no, linemen, they had, they had a couple of opportunities yeah. there. But I I, I think yeah. that you're going to see a lot more. You might see some walk on action on the offensive lineman side because of you know the thing that I keep coming back to is that you know for running that offense, you don't need the six seven three hundred and fifty pound road graders out there. You need guys who can move, right? And those are guys who pro- quite often are not going to get scholarships or scholarship offers, or maybe even be rated all that highly. So, uh, but they but they may walk on from UCF or they may come on board a little bit later and then and then turn into the kind of uh, offensive lineman that Scott Frost wants to be outrunning the large defensive lineman. So what were you going to say, Eric? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I was going to say similar things to that. And I will also tell Kevin, because uh, I know Kevin goes to a lot of the softball games. Yeah. Uh, but I don't get a chance to actually see him because he can. Uh, I'm in the booth after a certain while and stuff like that. So uh, just tell Kevin that uh, certainly appreciate him tuning in. And if he ever wants to say hello, uh, he's more than welcome to say hello to him uh, nearby the booth there. So yeah, drop on by the booth, and I may be I may be, I may be right there next to you because remember I I do some PA here. That's here right. Well, so. Oh, that's true. You know. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. and then uh, Michael Rutkowski on Facebook who commented on our Facebook page, and, and thanks to Mike because he he sometimes chimes in a little bit over there. Um, with all the talk about the Black Friday football game, UCF basketball is at the Disney Thanksgiving tournament on Thursday, Friday, and Sunday, and credit to Mike for pointing that out because yes. um, that's going to take away from basketball uh, it is. in that tournament, isn't it? 
Yeah, and he was commenting based on our podcast last week. We debated about the Black Friday, and, and I'm against it. You're fine with it. Uh, what's unique about this upcoming year in the Black Friday, as you mentioned, UCF will be playing at that basketball tournament in Disney. It used to be called the Old Spice Classic. Now it's uh, – I forget what it's called, but I've been going to that tournament the three of the last four years. Yeah, and the, the way that's that, over there. And, uh, yeah, the right by the Y World, yeah. Uh, the Advocare. It's the Advocare Invitational Tournament. Ooh, it just popped in my head beautifully. I was just there this past year. The Gonzaga won the tournament. They beat Iowa State. Uh, Florida was in it. Miami was in it. It's a great field. They do a great job over there. Uh, I've gone to that tournament three of the last four years, like I said, and it's a fantastic yeah. tournament. This usually has the, the, the field. Sorry, uh, uh, cut you yeah. out there, Eric. But I was going to say this: uh, the field UCF is going to be playing against uh, Mizzou. St. John's, Oregon State, West Virginia, Long Beach State, Nebraska, Marist. Well, obviously, West Virginia is the headliner there with Bob Huggins and company, the Mountaineers. Don't certainly sleep on Mizzou. Missouri's been a bottom SEC team. They've kind of had their issues, but they're still Missouri. It's kind of cool. Nebraska has been kind of a middle pack bottom Big Ten team uh, as well from there. Marist is a great program from up in the Northeast. Uh, but great to have UCF there. I think it's great that UCF gets to play that tournament. The issue that Michael brings up is the tournament runs Thanksgiving Day, Thursday. Black, Black Friday. Friday is when the semifinals take place. And the count. And what they do is they play not only the winner's bracket games, but they play loser bracket games, consolation games, and stuff like that. So in other words, no matter how UCF does, they'll get guaranteed three games. So – they have this, you know, the day two is on Friday. The championship games and the and that last day is on Sunday. They have Saturday off, so that's how they do it: Thursday, Friday, Sunday. So to Michael's point, UCF basketball will have a conflict that Black Friday going up against UCF USF. Now UCF basketball maybe gets the afternoon session, uh, or they might get the evening session. We don't know. We won't know that uh, probably till the summer. But nonetheless, uh, that's a conflict because let's be honest, there are fans that probably that support both and would probably have liked to gone to both. There's, you know, then there's probably going to be some fans that are going to pick the basketball if if football goes a certain way during the year and stuff. So it's just more competition now on Black Friday. It's very unfortunate uh, in that regard. Uh, but I'm willing to guess that Michael maybe agrees with my point of view that this should not be on Black Friday, period. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to go with that. I mean, I, unfortunately, I don't think there are going to be too many UCF fans who are going to make their way down to that basketball. I mean, uh, it's kind of an awkward time to have that tournament. But you're right. It is a consideration. It would have been preferable if we were able to get a, little, a bunch of more UCF fans down there for that game, especially if well, they're I mean, not I, playing the, the, the likes of West right? Virginia, Nebraska, or Mizzou. You know? Oh, well, that's the nightmare scenario is what if, and who knows? I mean, who knows? We won't know this. Again, the brackets will be announced at some point in the summer. But here's a hypothetical. What if UCF was playing West Virginia on that Friday? Ooh, oh, man. Yeah, that's going to suck. You know, obviously, and to uh, his unless point. Unless they have the game like in the early afternoon and then even, the football even still, game's in prime time. But even still, you know that. That's not easy. Go from Disney all the way to the campus. There's some people that just like to tailgate the whole day. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, you could pull I, it off. You hop on the 417 and head up. The funny thing is, I, maybe this is his point in all seriousness. I was kind of sarcastically joking that he agrees with my side. But to his another point that could have been made is, if this game would have been played on that Saturday, the football game I'm talking about, 
it would have actually worked out fine where you could have had the basketball on Thanksgiving Day, on Thursday, Friday. You go football Saturday and then back to basketball on Sunday because they're all in the same town in the same area. So you could have made a huge weekend out of it. Uh, instead, it's Friday. So it's it is what it is. Um, so we'll see what happens. You know, it's uh, obviously time will tell, but that is unfortunate, especially for me. I, I'm a big fan of that tournament, like I said. And in fact, the one year I didn't go to that tournament on that Friday, I want to say, I think it was the year that UCF played USF. No, actually, right. I did go to that tournament. I just didn't go to that Friday. I think I went Sunday. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a great tournament. So hopefully a lot of UCF fans get to go to that tournament because it's a great field um, and it's a great time there and it's good basketball and it's really fun. You Like I went to go this year and it was a lot of different fan bases from all those teams come. So that is one conflict that uh, will, again, another of many conflicts that pop up on Black Friday, which is why I don't think it should be on Black Friday. I don't think that game should be on that weekend at all. And for those people that, by the way, they were reaching out to me about Raw, it's a rivalry weekend. It should be where your rivalry is. My response to that is, Miami and Florida State's a rivalry. They don't play Thanksgiving weekend. A game that you've covered, Jeff, Florida and Georgia, they don't play that on Black Thanksgiving weekend. Those are, That's a big rivalry. Florida, Florida Notre- State, too. That's a rivalry, that's too, why. but my point. That's why. That's but that. I mean, that's that's my other point. Is that you know the the other rivalry is you know so, you know Florida State and Miami play you know right. before that because Flor because Florida Florida State play on Thanksgiving weekend. You can't you know same thing with Georgia. Florida's got Florida. If you're if you're two big rivals, one of them's Georgia, one of them's Florida State. Well, you're in state rival. You play them on Thanksgiving. So that's 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 the point that I make. So yeah, but there's other rivalries in kind of Army Navy, big rivalry. They don't play Thanksgiving. They played this. In fact, they play. They, 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 they play, have their own day. They, they play. They, <laughs> they play around Easter. <laughs> <laughs> they got their own day. So, right. uh, but no. Thanks to all the thanks to all the uh, comments and pointing that out with Mike, which we did not bring up, uh, uh, and I forgot to to mention that last week. So good, good catch on that. Yeah, cool. So thanks again, and folks, remember you can uh, reach us, reach out to us on our Facebook page and Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, and also reach out to us directly at blackandgoldbanneret.com. We also try to post everything on Brandon's message board at ucfsports.com. And you can reach out to us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret. What do you have this weekend, Eric? Well, I'll be producing Tuck and O'Neill pretty much all weekend. And uh, all week, I should say, but even all weekend, they got a special Sunday show. They're doing 11 to 1 on 1080. I'll be producing that. And then uh, I'll be you know, I'll be going to that UCF men's basketball game. Hope to see some of you out there where they take on Cincinnati on Sunday. I'll be out there for the Florida game next week too. So uh, it's a big big week uh, on campus, right? With women too. We got women's last two home games for women. Saturday against SMU, as you mentioned. Sunday you got the men's game against Cincinnati. Monday night you got your women's team against Temple, which is a top twenty-five team. And then I think at that Wednesday, you got Florida and UCF baseball. So it's a busy, busy week coming up. We may have to do next week's episode, uh, show from, like, location. <laughs> I know. We may have to yeah, we may have to be on location to see. It's, it's a busy, busy time of year. and uh, But this is fun because we have a lot to talk about. Sometimes the shows go a little long, but we appreciate you guys hanging with us. I know last week's show was really long, and this week's show is not as long, but still quite long. And that's perfectly fine with us. So... Lots to talk about this week. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, you can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. And you can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and uh, rate us. In fact, leave us a comment if you will. And uh, also don't forget to, you, if iTunes is not your uh, particular flavor, you can hit us up on SoundCloud, uh, tune in, 
and Google Play as well. So as we wrap up, thanks once again to you, Eric. Thank you, Jeffrey. And thanks to you, UCF fans out there, for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We will catch you next week. Thank you.